But Oswald Changer said this, that uh, when we are confronted with a truth, when we are confronted with a truth, what we do with that will either determine whether we're a disciple or a traitor, a deserter, a disciple or a deserter. So when you're confronted with the truth, you want to be sure that you are a follower on or obedient to that truth because if you're not and don't do it quickly, you could lead you to the place that you're a deserter of Christ. So it's a serious thing to be confronted with the truth. Amen? It is a serious thing, especially in your private reading, especially when preaching is going on. and You're, you're sitting there where you're sitting, and I don't know your business, and nobody else knows your business, but the, the Lord is dealing with you. And it's a serious thing when the Lord deals with you and you don't respond to that dealing. So I pray that today by His Spirit and by the truth of God's Word, He'll do with us what He sees fit to do. Amen? So wouldn't it be a good thought of asking ourselves the question, how do I love Jesus more in 2024? that got a little bit of a rhyme to it, does it not? And we should be about doing that And why should we be about doing that when we realized who we were and what He has done for us, the penalty that He's provided, the forgiveness that He's provided, and the place that He is there preparing for us, the wise thing to do would be to love Him more every day. Every day. And, And I'll just tell you, that doesn't just happen. You've got to expose yourself to the graces of God and to the truth of God's Word and what He's done, or you will we'll all become a little slack in our love for Him because we forget. So we've got to keep ourselves stirred up. So Matthew 22, 37 through 39, and it all comes out of the Shema. It comes out of Deuteronomy 6, 5. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, tradition has it that uh, the Jews knew this scripture. It was part of the Shema, and they repeated this scripture morning and night. Now, I know what would happen to me. It would become pretty rote, would it not? But they repeated it morning and night for a purpose to remind them what was expected of them. Well, then we get to Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, in the words of Jesus. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're not hung out in Deuteronomy, are we? We're not hung out in the law, are we? We see the words of Jesus, and he knew what he was about to do on the cross, and we know what he's done on the cross, and he gave us these words. So, you know, I could finish this this morning, and for some of you, maybe you could go home. Uh, you know, I could say, if, if you say that you love the Lord with all your heart, please stand. You know, I could do that, but I won't. But I don't know how many of us could eagerly hold our hands up and openly and vow that we do that. 
But that is the command, is it not? Well, how have we gotten to the place that we can fall short of that command and be okay, right? Well, that's what Oswald Chambers is talking about. When you come up and are confronted with the truth, what you do with it is going to have some type of impact upon you. Just realize that. So, if we couldn't stand up, do we have any desire to be there? It should be a desire to be obedient to God's Word. And so then we would ask ourselves, well, what's the problem? What's keeping us from loving God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds and all our strengths and our neighbors ourselves? So the Scripture teaches us that, what the problem is. And you know that most of us could, could do this right here and we'd find out that most of the problem is we love ourselves. And uh, we're looking out for self in, in much of our, our lifetime and in our regards. So this week, if you're reading the one-year Bible, you read about the plumb line. Some of you carpenters, maybe. Uh, has anybody ever put their hands on a real carpenter's plumb line? Okay, some, some of us are old enough to have done that. It's an, it's an instrument to find perpendicular and to find from this point up here the point below. It's, it's, a, it's an instrument. It's called a plumb line. It's a, it's a construction tool. It's a building tool that we might not see as often as we used to because of, of the technology that we have now. But what is your plumb line as a Christian? You, you have it in your hand. This is it. It's the plumb line. It's the truth without error. It teaches us how to live our lives. First of all, it teaches us our lostness. It teaches about our Savior, Jesus Christ. It teaches us how to be saved. And then it teaches us how to live our lives after that. It's a, it's a plumb line. It's our standard. There's no other standard. So, uh, I can't ever get it right. Nella goes by it every day. Bob goes by it two, three times a week. So do I. But that sign over there says that uh, wrong and right are concepts. Wrong and right are concepts, but there's no absolute truth. I think that's the way it goes. Well, here's the absolute truth. It's, it's time-tested. Okay? It is the truth without error. It is our plumb line. So the Word of God is our plumb line. The ancient paths are still the right paths. It doesn't matter, you know... The Pope, Chris Christie, okay, just the next guy has said that uh, generations and civilization dictates what's right and wrong. In other words, that Chris Christie, when he was governor, could have been against same-sex marriages, but now, ten years later, he has come to see 
that's, that things have just changed and same-sex marriages are okay today. If you missed it, the Pope has blessed, officially blessed, same-sex marriage as the head of the Catholic Church. That does not line up with Scripture. That does not line up with a plumb line. And, and what society thinks, God was so wise to not leave us to our own thinking. Because our thinking is awfully flawed. It's awfully flawed when you're trying to live by God's Word. But it is surely flawed when you're living out in any concept of God's Word whatsoever. So you have a plumb line. There's a right and wrong to everything that we do. And we find that in God's Word. So here's what the Scripture says. Back to Matthew 22, 37 and 39. And He said to them, He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. That's the standard. This is the great and first commandment. You'll never do the second without getting the first one right. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the standards for Christian people. And how are we to be about that? We go back to Deuteronomy 6, 5, where, we came, where it came from. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So, it, again, it was repeated twice daily by faithful Jews. So, they memorized the Scripture. They, they wrote it. They wrote it on the wrist. They bound it on their foreheads. They wrote it everywhere. They, they kept it in front of themselves to remind them by repeating it morning and night what the command was. Well, I, I was thinking about this this week. And I, don't, I really don't know. I really don't understand the pushback for Scripture memorization. I really don't understand people pushing back against Scripture memorization. But that's exactly what we do when we don't get on board, even as adults, in setting the pattern for memorizing Scripture. Scripture memorization is a great tool. You got a sin you're dealing with? Find the scriptures that pertain to that and memorize them and claim them. That's what scripture does. And listen, you don't get too old. It may take you longer than it did when you were 19, but it, it, it's still doable. All right? So memori- they, they memorized these things. Morning and night they repeated them. Now, what's this scripture doing? It's it's reminding us of our absolute and total devotion to none other than Jesus Christ. That's what it's doing. That's who we are to be devoted to. No other. We are to be totally devoted to Him, to, to the Father, and the advancement of His kingdom. So what would be some signs that we're getting there? There would be signs that we're loving Him more and more devoted to Him. 
just think about it. What's your daily plans? Where does God, where does His Word, where does His church, uh, where does His work, where does His, what, what part does His kingdom, where does it fit into your daily life? You know where it should be? Right at the beginning and right at the end and everything in between. Because it's dealing with the only thing of yours that's eternal. Everything else that we deal with in that day is going to be gone. Except the matters of spiritual things. It will be burnt up. Do we have plans to live for God's glory? Do we get up focused enough to live for God's glory? Being radically obedient to His commands, striving to love the world less and Him and others more and more, and being actively involved in a local church. It, it, it absolutely blows my mind that the, the, the quickest way to divorce-proof your marriage is to get totally involved in your local church. And most couples are just marginally involved in their local church. That's, that's not the statistic that proves itself almost divorce-proof. The statistic that proves itself almost divorce-proof is those couples who are committed together to serve the Lord and serve Him faithfully in the local church, they stay together. There's something to do with that. And we need some of that. So what does our schedule revolve around? What do our schedules revolve around? So these words that uh, we're looking at, they stirred up the people's attention. They made them think, this is my standard. That should stir us up today. Listen, this, was just as, this is just as much His word to you and I as it was His word to His disciples. It's just as personal. Matter of fact, we should know Him, we should know him better than His disciples did, even though they lived with Him. We've got so much more to read about Him than maybe they even knew. And by the Spirit of God, we can know Him. Now, this is eternal life. What's eternal life? That you may know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you hear that qualification? To know God and His Son. And they reveal why it's important. Why, why is this commandment important? It's the first commandment. And all the rest of them will never fall in line unless we get the first one right. Okay, so if I can admit that I'm not there, can you? And then the question is, what are we to do about it? We want to move towards that standard. What can we do? So we think about this, and which of the Ten Commandments was he referring to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The first four. Right relationship. There should be no other gods before me. Make for yourselves no graven image. Uh, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Keep the Sabbath day holy. 
That's a good place to start. No other gods. No graven images. Remember, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Respect the name of the Lord. And the fourth one, keep the Sabbath day holy. I've told you all before, a way that we used to describe people were, they were so faithful to be in church attendance. It was important to them. They knew it was important to them. Let me tell you, your church attendance is important to you and your family and your church and your Lord, whether you know it or not. It does make a difference in our lives. He, he gave us one day, 52 days out of the year, to stop and remind ourselves of our duty. <clears throat> By doing these things which God commands out of a principle of love the highest degrees of love to God, it's much more than an obligation. Even though we're sinners, God still gives us a duty. I think, I think, well, I just can't hit the mark. And I'll tell you, it's a high mark. Amen? That doesn't mean because we can't achieve it that we're not striving to forge it. And we ought to be just stri- striving to forge it every day until that day that we're called home. So let me get this. Even though we're sinners, we still have a duty. Love God, love your neighbor. I mean, get out of your comfort zone. Sign up to go to Becky and Blake's dinner over the next month. Get out of your comfort zone. Put other people before yourselves. Try it. It's good for us all. A love that reveals itself in the whole man. What, what am I, who am I? Who am I and what am I about? Really? Wouldn't that we? You ought to be able to describe who I am and what I'm about. And if it's not obvious to you who I am and what I'm about, you got the wrong preacher. And surely when we look at ourselves, we could be honest to say to ourselves, who am I and what am I about? And it ought to be described first of all as who I am as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Obedience to all His commandments. Constantly, immediately obedient. So the law is called a schoolmaster that leads us to see our need for Christ. We can't get there. We can't can't hit the mark, but we're to be striving. Because God is to be served before our neighbor, love for our neighbor flows from our love for God. We'll have greater love for one another when we have greater love for who? Christ himself. 
can't fulfill this one unless we love God. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything in the Old Testament can be reduced to these. This is the whole duty of man commanded. The whole duty of man. The whole book of God is our rule, and we are obliged to every precept in it, even those that we struggle with. Moses summed up all in the Ten Commandments, to which, when truly interpreted, all the precepts of Scripture are reduced to the Ten Commandments. Christ here brings ten to two. So he knew we'd struggle with ten, right? All right, I'll just give you two. Forget one through ten in, in, in per se. Just do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And your neighbor is yourself. And when you do that, those others are going to fall into place. And I'll just give you a little heads up here. Those Ten Commandments were written on stone tablets. These other twos are engraven on our hearts. I don't read well. I didn't see that stone tablet. No excuse. You, you, know, what, you know what that's saying? We know in our heart that's the way it's supposed to be. So, if you can say that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, you can be dismissed this morning. But we're all going to still be here because we don't, but we should have a desire to. Well, you know, something's probably going to have to go to make more room for God, amen? Well, we're going to get into that. So, what's the problem is that not the question to ask? Why do I not love God that way? And why don't I love my neighbors that way? You think it's the same problem that people in the Bible had? You think we're any different than that bunch that wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness? We're not a lick different. Except, again, let me tell you, you got something they didn't have. They had Moses to prod them along. You got the Holy Spirit. Unless you've resisted him to the point that you don't hear from him anymore. And you don't want to get to that place. That's a terrible place to be too. So, I want you to see some of my favorite scripture. And I want you to see what we can learn from those scriptures. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. We'll be in 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings. So you can find 1 Kings and then go a tad to your right. Uh, am I right or is it Chronicles before Kings? Find 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles. Kings and then Chronicles. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 31. 
Jehoshaphat. Thus Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Asbah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in the way of Asa, his father, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. You could say, but. But verse 33 says, The high places, however, were not taken away, and the people had not set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. So what was Jehoshaphat's and the people's problems? Was it a Jehoshaphat problem? Was it a people problem? Well, for some people, they look at 2 Chronicles 17.62 and uh, no, 17.6. Is what it is, 17.6. His heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord, and forevermore he took the high places and Asherim out of Judah. So it appeared that Jehoshaphat was doing his part, getting rid of the high places, getting rid of the idols. So we come back then to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 41 Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Asbah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in the way of Asa, Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from doing it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with an ungodly king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. So now listen. There were two problems here. It's obvious from here there, there were two problems. People had their idols. People had things that were more important to them than God. Also, they had another problem. They were not fully committed to following the God of their ancestors. It ought to get real quiet in here. Because God's people are still dealing with their idols. And we are reluctant because of what the cost might be to fully commit ourselves to the Lord. No different. Same human nature. We can blame that all on one guy. Y'all remember that guy's name? Adam. Now, you can read this all you want to and see if you can come up with a better solution than me. 
So this inconsistency with these scriptures, this is the way the old guys come to reckon with that. And here, here are, here's, here's the reckoning. Officially, Jehoshaphat did the right thing. But unofficially, the people did not follow. So I'm all the... You don't have to ask yourself. You don't have to ask this about me. It's fine if you want to. And when you do, if you want to come talk to me about it, that's, that's good too. Okay. So the question for these people, was Jehoshaphat the problem or were the people the problem? And that's okay for you to ask of me. Are, are my problems my problems? Are our church's problem our problems? Or are they Brother Bruce? Is he the problem? Maybe it's a combination. Because I'm just as susceptible to what as you are. Idols, not being fully committed. That's why, that's why we've got to pray for one another. That's why you've got to pray for your leaders. That's why we have a prayer time next door. To pray about spiritual things. We're still, we're still dealing with the idols. We're still dealing with a lack of commitment. So let's, let's go on. Verse 33. The high places, however, were not taken away, and the people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. And, and, and I would, I, I know it's not, nothing changes under the sun, but I can promise you they didn't have any more idols than we do. I think we may be way more susceptible to idols than they were. Just think about the idol of comfort. Can you say running water? Can you say running water to the exact temperature? Can you say putting that thermostat exactly where you want it to be morning and night? We are spoiled people. Hey, I, I, Jeannie and I spent three days this week with uh, two of my college uh, classmates. One of them, Bob, retired after 26 years as a colonel in the artillery. Then he worked for the civilian part for 12 years, uh, retired, retired as a full colonel. Uh, the other one retired as a lieutenant colonel, and then he worked for 20 years as administrator of Baptist Hospital in Heber Springs. And, and I, was, I, I pointed out to them that as blessed as we are as a people, we are surely blessed as a people to know the Lord even having all that we have. Because we have so much that many people see no need for the Lord. But we're still susceptible to idols today. So, you know, as a leader, I'm going to find a little fault with Jehoshaphat. I especially find fault with Jehoshaphat when he turned to a worldly alliance rather than depending upon God. You remember they produced this fleet of ten ships that never got out of the port? You remember that guy? So I find from some, some faults with Jehoshaphat. 
So, what was up with Jehoshaphat? Did not get rid of all their high places. The people did not fully commit themselves to following the God of their ancestors. Like it or not, that's the standard. So we're going to come back here. So what have we gleaned from the Old Testament? Get rid of your idols. Fully commit yourself to following the God of your ancestors. Did you see that in what we looked at? Okay. Now let's go to the New Testament. You ever heard of the Jerusalem Council? You ever heard of the Gentiles? Okay. They, uh, the, whole, the whole Jerusalem Council was about this. They didn't want to lay upon the Gentiles a bunch of requirements that were not necessary. So the things that they did put upon those Gentiles, we ought to pay attention to. <clears throat> Acts 15, 13. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 13. So out of the Old Testament... We found out we need to get rid of our idols and we need to fully commit ourselves to follow God no matter the cost. You know, you know the, co- the cost is increasing every day. Uh, I've, been, I've been, and Bob and I have conversed and I, I, don't, think we, I don't think we talked about it uh, with my army buddies and my college roommate this weekend. But... Uh, 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 oh, it seems like there's a, a rash right now of high-ranking military commanders being relieved of duty. And uh, th- they always get fired for this common denominator, a lack of confidence in their leadership ability. That's, and that, in other words, is that's not why we're firing them, but that's, that's what we're telling you, okay? And, and I just can't believe that this, some of this is not Politically correctly motivated firings. Are you with me? They won't give in to the demands of the politically correct to approve same-sex marriages and all the other nonsense. There is a cost. It could be your job. Matter of fact, I would say it likely will be your job if the Lord doesn't return pretty quickly. Because, see, you've got to go back and read Romans. They don't want just to have the right to do what they want to do. They want our approval. And you're not willing to give it his him, shim, jim, whatever, could cost you your job. Acts 15, 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, After this I'll return and I'll rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and we will build its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old, 
Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So what he's saying is we shouldn't trouble them with all the Jewish Levitical laws and regulations. We shouldn't burden them with what things that they have no understanding of. Now listen to this. But should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols. You ever heard that word idols before? Idols were a New Testament problem. Here's a new one. Now I would tell you that number seven of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And adultery is any sexual act outside the marriage between a man man and a woman. Anything outside of that is either fornication or adultery. So the Old Testament does speak about sexual immorality. Thou shalt not. But listen to Acts 15, verse 20. But should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generation Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So what we're talking about here is the dealing or, or the, the burdening of the Gentiles with ritualistic laws of the Jews. There was no sense in that. And an offer was proposed for fellowship if the Gentiles would abstain from just some simple things. And listen, as it was good for the Gentiles of those days to abstain from those things, it would be good for us today to abstain from those things. And let, let me just tell you that, that in the church, okay, it, it says don't, don't worry about the world out there, but in the church you should live a different life. In the church, there's an expectation so an offer was proposed for fellowship if they would abstain from these sins. Three ritualistic Levitical rules, and they all had something in common. They all had to do with idols. But the fourth requirement, dealing with sexual immorality, was of course not a, cont- a contextual or optional standard of obedience like the other three. The Levitical laws were optional, but the command about sexual immorality was not optional. James agreed with Peter that they should not trouble the Jews with these ritualistic laws. He offered a proposal by by which Gentile Christians could have fellowship with Jewish Christians and avoid giving unnecessary offense to the Jews. That's what he, where he was trying to get, get. Now, let me read this statement. Uh, probably Matthew Poole. It may have needed special emphasis because many Gentiles did not hold to a high standard of sexual purity. It's high time that the church in America return to a high standard 
of sexual purity. Listen, mom and dads, we need to teach it from the time that they're born, the standards of God. Sexual immorality is a troubling evil that causes much harm. It, it's, the, it's the only sin that says all other sins are outside the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Young people, don't go that way. Just because everybody else is hooking up. Everybody else is sleeping with people they're not, uh, they're not married to. They're, they're sleeping with this person one day and this next person the next week. That's not you. Parents, you've got to teach it to your children. And look, it's, it's, you, know, you know why, you know why, you know what we were taught outside the church. You're scared to death. You're going to get pregnant out of wedlock and you're going to embarrass the family and all that kind. Hey, all of those kind of things. That's not the reason you tell them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. God's law says remain sexually pure. That's why we have these laws. That's why we have these rules. Listen carefully. Sexual sins have always been a downfall for God's people and for society as a whole. You want to corrupt the society, it always starts with sexual immorality. We've got to make a turn. In the church, we've got to make a turn. This also serves as a reminder that the moral standards of the Old Testament need to be obeyed. They were good. You remember? He did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill them. That sexual sins have always... So just, just the, the uh, December the 28th readings, over and over again it talked about sexual immorality. So let's finish the letter to the uh, Gentile believers, Acts 15, 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers boast the apostles and elders to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and trouble you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions to how it seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strained, strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do what? 
Young people, I'm talking to you. Mom and Daddy, I want you to tell the young people the expectations of the Word of God for them and your expectations. They don't want to hear it from me. They want to hear it from you. And why? So what have we gleaned from the Old Testament? Get rid of our idols. Fully commit ourselves to follow God no matter the cost. And what did we find out from the New Testament? Get rid of our idols. Fully commit ourselves to following God no matter the cost. And abstain from sexual immorality. Now let me just tell you. There is no sin that's not forgivable. Including sexual immorality. But it is a sin to be confessed, admitted to, and turned from with a passion. You remember I told you when I started off, you got some sins to overcome? There's scripture that you can, you can memorize. You Men, I'm not, I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about men because I'm often reminded of what percent of the men in America today are addicted to pornography. And let me tell you, wives, young people, men, pornography is adultery. Pornography is sexual immorality. It is a plague. It is to be repented of. And if you want about a handful or ten scriptures to help you deal with that sin, I'll give them to you. But I'm going to expect you to remember them too. And to get rid of them. Sexual sins can be forgiven, but they must be turned from. We cannot continue to perpetuate the matter. So, how do we continue in this mode? And what would be the mode? Getting rid of all your idols, fully committing yourself to God, and turning from sexual immorality. We've got to continue to immerse ourselves in God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, the teaching of God's Word. Let's look at Mark 4, 13 through 20 in closing. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the Word, and these who are... And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. And these, okay, so when we hear the word of God and brings us to conviction, we need to do something with it right then before Satan comes and snatches away and we forget about it. Then he goes on to say in verse 16, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Verse 18, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and proves it unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word Accept it, bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Now listen, this parable of the sower represents Jesus for sure. But in a secondary sense, it represents every faithful preacher of God's Word. 
when the Word is preached, we are commanded to do something with that preached Word. When the Word of... Hey, listen. I had no idea who was going to be here today. You had no idea what I was going to preach today. But once we are... Con- once we are confronted with the Word of God, we are to do something with it right then. Because the danger is if we don't do something with it, the devil comes and snatches it away or it lays there and dries up and doesn't bear fruit. We've got to do something with the preach to read the heard Word of God. And let me tell you what that is. Repent. Love God more. Get rid of your idols. Fully commit yourselves to following the God of your ancestors. Confess and turn from all forms of sexual immorality. I would tell you that Ephesians 4.2, I believe it is, says, uh, the church now, I'm not talking to the world, I'm talking to the church. We are not to even give a hint of sexual immorality. Pretty good standard, is it not? So this various soils represent human hearts. The inhospitable heart in the parable gradually becomes more and more receptive. Listen, this always scares me now. When, when you sit under the preaching of God's Word by the Spirit, you ought to become more and more receptive to the Word. But it's so critical for you to do something with that word that you're convicted of. Because there's a danger in not doing something with it. That it's taken away and that conviction is gone. It always scares me to death for people to come around and come around and come around and never join the church, never fully committed. Then they're gone. There's a danger in that. But nevertheless... Many people remain preoccupied with the cares of the world and this present life, living in rebellion against God's true word and His purposes. But the good soil represents a consistently attentive and accepting heart. You know what I'm talking about? We hear preaching, we get under conviction, we confess, repent, we turn from it. We move on. We read God's word. We're convicted of sin. We confess it, repent, and turn from it. Let me tell you, that is the Christian life. You repent the first time and you're saved. You have a change of direction. You were going your way. Now you're going God's way. That's a change of direction. Repent. I was doing this. I confess of it. I turn from it. I do that the first time, but I do that every day the rest of my life. I'm always dealing with sin in my life. I know you are too. And the thing we do is confess it and turn from it. Receive forgiveness. But listen to this. Your soil, your heart is good when it is attentive and receptive. That's the way we should come here, should we not? Attentive and receptive. They hear with an honest and a good heart. They are immediately and wholly obedient to the Word of God. Ezra 7.10, you remember? Ezra heard the Word, 
read the Word, studied the Word, applied the Word, taught the Word. That's what we always need to be doing. And these people hold fast and bear much fruit. So, this is so applicable today. Uh, Old Testament, the Jerusalem Council, it's so applicable today. So how can we keep an attentive and receiving heart, an accepting heart? How can we do that? We've got to fully expose ourselves to the Word of God. We've got to expose ourselves to the Lord in prayer. Say, God, take a look. And then we've got to be responsive to what He shows us, to the conviction that He brings. We've got to do something with that conviction. It leads to repentance. It leads to change. That's how we keep our our hearts receptive and attentive. That's what we do. Faithful attendance, wholehearted involvement in the local church where people consistently assemble under the preaching of the Word of God. Individuals, couples, and families devoted to loving God, loving others, and working to advance God's kingdom through the local church. That's how you do it. You know, I'm, I, I, I know I'm talking to the choir today. I know this is a holiday weekend. We've got to stir ourselves up to be attentive, to be receptive, to be open to the Word of God when we read it or hear it preached. Got to keep ourselves on top of the game. We've got to be in a pursuit of serious godliness. Serious. You know, that's how you ought to be described. Serious. They're serious about what they believe. And they believe something. So get rid of our idols. Fully commit ourselves to following God no matter the cost. Be immediately and radically obedient to all of His commands. Listen, it it, it doesn't matter from the 92-year-old guy in the church to the one that just got the smartphone. Stay away from sexual immorality. It is a killer. And unless you're, listen to parents, unless you're making provisions to keep that off your kid's phone, and you give it to them, they got it. Men, that's just as much sexual immorality as a woman who sleeps around. Did you hear me? Sexual immorality is a plague that has killed societies in the past and is about to kill another society. So this is how you keep the soil plowed and fertile. So just remember now, Oswald Chambers says, when confronted with the Word of God, you're either going to be a disciple that responds to it or a deserter that turns from it. 
So I pray that we would be challenged to be a disciple that turns from sin and turns to the Lord.